Welcome to the study. We're looking at the series Eternal Rewards. And uh, we've looked in the last session, I did an overview of what the Eternal Rewards are. And I found, and this is, this is part two of that. So I'll just touch on and review just where we went last time. And then we're going to get into the new teaching today. So uh, just first of all, we, we, we found, because what you believe about the future will greatly affect how you prepare and how you live your life. So one of the things that uh, Jesus taught a lot about was eternal rewards. He taught about eternity, he taught about a coming kingdom. His message was on the kingdom. The kingdom is here now. It's available now, but it's also a coming kingdom as well. So there's a measure available now. And by faith, we can stretch into the kingdom age and pull some of what God has prepared in the ages to come into the age we live in now. So the dilemma you have when people get some of these end time teaching is they put everything off to the future and do nothing now. Mm. But um, throughout the Bible, you find people and God showed them what was to come and their life showed they stretched into that age and pulled it into where they lived. And you see it in many different people that ministered. And uh, okay, so Tanya's trying to get on right now. So I'll leave it to you to sort that out. So you find, and so when we look at this teaching on eternal rewards, Jesus talked about us coming into relationship and then he talked about our life. In other words, what we live, our stewardship. And so in Matthew 16, verse 7, he said, Now the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and his angels. He will reward each man according to their works. So Jesus is talking about eternal rewards, and he associates the rewards we receive with, uh, with the works that we do. In other words, our activities as a steward for Jesus. And uh, secondly, we saw there are many different types of rewards. And uh, in almost every situation, the rewards were for overcoming some particular challenge or difficulty. And so we saw in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3 how uh, there are many, many different rewards that are mentioned by Jesus, and they all relate to overcoming something. And so we look through at some stage, we may look at the churches of Revelation, and every one of them, Jesus reveals himself in a certain way. He reveals an aspect of himself. He commends them for what they've done. And then he begins to talk about where there's a lack or what he wants them to do and then gives a reward associated with it. So we need to be aware or familiar, well, what is at stake? If nothing is at stake, then you don't get interested in this. It doesn't mean anything to you. If there's a lot at stake, then that changes the way you look. And I used the illustration uh, last time. Would you rather have $10 now or $1,000 at the end of the week? The issue is, can you delay gratification now in order for the bigger thing? So you can imagine if the end of, end of it all is a massive prize, then you're motivated then to lay your life down. So the third thing we saw was rewards are not given automatically. They re it requires we meet specific conditions. So for example, in Revelations 3.21, it says, uh, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So Jesus is saying, I have modeled the life of overcoming. And as a result of overcoming, I've been elevated to this particular realm as a man. He had the realm of glory, had a realm of rulership before uh, he came into the earth. Now he's been elevated as a man into that. And he says, now, if you overcome, likewise, you will be lifted up and share the throne with me. That means to share a position of honor, to share a position of authority, and to be a friend of him in advancing his kingdom in the ages to come. Another one in John 12, 26, if any man serves me, any man serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. For if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So notice, he then talks about God honoring, God the Father honoring people who meet certain conditions. And the two conditions are number one, serving Jesus, and number two, following him. Serving has to do with we are performing activities on his behalf as his representative. Following him means we're letting his word transform our life. So to follow Jesus meant, or to follow a, a, a rabbi, meant you walked with them and learnt how they lived their life and applied the Word of God to their life. So it's a life transformation process. So notice what he says, whoever serves me, that means you're involved in the work of ministry of some kind, 
then uh, the second thing is, uh, then he says, let him follow me, which seems weird. You think if you're following Jesus, then you'll serve him. He said, no, if you're serving me, in other words, you're already in relationship and you're serving. He then goes on to say, then you must follow me. In other words, you must commit to letting me teach you how to do life, how to apply kingdom principles to the way you do your life and ministry. So you notice there in both of those scriptures, receiving reward is conditional on our response. Uh, Him who overcomes, the reward. He who follows me and serves me, the reward. And then we saw number four that there were small sacrifices on our part now have huge recompense eternally. Small things now, big things later. So for example, he used in, in Matthew in Luke, um, uh, Matthew 25 verse 21, he says, you are faithful over a few things. So what we have now in this life are few things. And then he says, I will make you ruler or give you a position and a role of responsibility over many. Yeah. And that's a multitude, it's mega. And then in, in Luke 19, 17, he says, well done. Uh, you were faithful in very little, now have authority over 10 cities. Now, you, you just can't compare uh, very little to authority over 10 cities. So what he's trying to say there is this. He's saying the comparison between what you're responsible for now and what God has planned for you is enormous. There is no comparison. But it does require that we be faithful in the fulfilling what he gives us now. And he doesn't say that that's a ministry, he doesn't say it's pastoring, he doesn't say anything about what that might be. He just says faithful in the little you've been given. And so that applies to every person, whatever our opportunity, whatever our talents, whatever our giftings, we all have the opportunity to win, to to have authority in the coming kingdom. And so um, we see in Hebrews 11.6 that God says that he is a rewarder. He that comes to God must believe that he is, that he's available, that he cares about us. And number two, that he's a rewarder, that he recompenses us for every little thing we do, our attitudes, our choices, uh, the things we've overcome, the way we've represented him, the sacrifices we've made, the things we've walked through and kept a good loving spirit. So when you start to get this revelation into your heart, it helps you very much to overcome the petty stuff that goes on in life with people because you look past it all and you realize that whatever you're experiencing now God has got his eye on the little detail of it and particularly how you respond and what you do with it you said in Matthew 19 29 anyone who left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life so notice he's then saying a hundredfold okay so we just reviewed where we've been then the last time we looked at some possible categories of the many rewards. And there are many described, which means God is just unlimited in what he can do for you. And so he's got your back. He's thinking about you. But I put him under some categories. Uh, eternal intimacy, eternal authority, eternal glory, eternal garments, victors' crowns, honor and praise, treasures and riches, and then vindication. And uh, we found that the, the first three are are the three perhaps the most important ones, but the others are also important, and I'll get onto them in another time. So, um, and we saw that one of the most important ones is the sharing of governance over creation, because that's what we've been made for. We've been made for intimacy, an intimate relationship with our Father in heaven. We've been made to represent him. That means to show his glory and nature and character, which means we need to be transformed. And we know that we're designed to partner with him in the expanse of his kingdom. In Isaiah 9, it says, of the increase of his government, there is no end. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That means that God will forever be expanding his government. So if he could do what he's done for a planet called Earth, he could do that for many of the stars in the galaxy or many places in the galaxy. We, we've got no concept of how great the things are that God has ahead. And we saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I have not seen nor heard nor has entered into the heart of the man the things God has prepared for them that love him. And we saw also that love is not to do with feelings as to do with our willingness to yield to obey him. Okay, so this study 
Uh, I started it thinking I was going to do a couple of them, a couple of the different awards, but I ended up, as I did this one, I thought it's actually better I focus on this one because it's of immense interest, immense importance, so much importance on this one. So I'm going to make this one the focus of today's study. So I want to look at reward number three, which is resurrection glory or eternal glory. We'll call it eternal glory. It means that for age after age after age, there is a glory or an honor. The word glory in the Bible is the word kabod, weight, honor. So it has many ways it expresses itself, but it means weight. God will put eternal weight or a weight that lasts for eternity. Cannot be taken away from you once you got it. It'll be there forever. It'll be seen by all forever. So right now you are preparing yourself for how you will be in the coming eternity. <laughs> the millennium kingdom is where everyone on earth will see what you are. And in the coming eternal, eternal ages, then we, we've got no concept of what God may have laid out ahead for us. So, so we're going to focus then on eternal glory. And that refers uh, in many ways or primarily to resurrection. Resurrection or the glory of resurrection. So today I'll focus very much on resurrection and what that looks like and the first resurrection. So there's many aspects we could teach on it, particularly in relate to the current resurrection life we have. But I want to focus on the coming resurrection, the first resurrection. So, so the first scripture we'll look at will be in 2 Peter 1, verse 16 and 17. 2 Peter 1, verse 16 and 17. And it goes like this. We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitness of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, this is an amazing scripture. So all of the scriptures we do today, you will want to go back and look at them, mark them, go through them and study them, make them your own. So the first thing in that is that the three disciples were eyewitnesses. An eyewitness is a spectator. You saw it personally, saw it with their own eyes. They were eyewitnesses. They were spectators, personally present, and they saw it. That's why he said, we didn't make up a big tale. This is not a fable. It's not some fiction. It's not some myth. We saw it. We were there. So they're eyewitnesses. And uh, they said, and what were they eyewitnesses to? They were eyewitnesses to the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The word majesty, get this, the original word is mega, mega leotes, L-I-O-T-E-S, mega leotes, meaning magnificence. We saw his magnificence. It means visible splendor. We saw his superbness. We saw his brilliance. In other words, we saw his royal dignity. In other words, they just he's just can't kind of get the that's the only word he could use that will describe it. It's mega. It's mega, mega, mega. <laughs> very, very big. And so that he they encountered the glory of Jesus, his his majesty of his second coming when he comes in resurrection glory. Interesting is I'll just a side note to think about this, that 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 only three of the twelve saw it all. Which it's just, it's just an aside, but it does point not all will participate in this. Not, and we'll come to that a little bit later. So they visibly count, encountered Jesus. They saw uh, him uh, transformed to become full of glory. And they saw what it was like. So they try to describe that. And uh, they identify in that scripture where they saw it. They saw it on the mountain transfiguration. So there are three good scriptures on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew, Luke, and Mark all talk about it. So the second thing then is Jesus' resurrection glory was revealed to them. His resurrection glory. And, and we'll focus on this for the moment. Then we'll look at then what, what's, what's ahead for us. So firstly, M Matthew wrote it. And um, Matthew wrote it in Matthew 16, 27 through to 17, verse 2. So... Um, and then Luke wrote it in Luke 9, 29. And Mark wrote about it in Mark 9, 2 and 3. 
So it pays you to go back and look at those scriptures, mark them out and see the whole thing that was there. But anyway, we'll pick it up in Matthew. So this is what Matthew said. He said, this is what Jesus said. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. So he's saying he will come in great glory. And then he will reward each one according to his work. And then he says, surely I say to you, there's some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then after six days, he took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them to a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes become white as light. So what he's saying is he prophesied to them that some of you, some of you won't die before you see the Son of Man coming in glory. And then straight after they takes them up on the mountain and they saw it. So what they're seeing is the coming of the Son of Man and they're seeing the resurrection. Luke wrote this, he wrote it like this. He said, as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. His robes became white and glistening. And then Mark wrote it in Mark 9, 2 and 3. And he says, after six days, he took Peter, James and John, led up the high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow as no launderer on earth can whiten them. I'm going to go through some of these things here in more detail now. It says Jesus was transfigured. That's the word metamorpho, where we get it. It's the Greek word, meaning we get the word metamorphosis, from which it means you change from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Think of a caterpillar, earthbound, limitations galore, a butterfly, heavenbound. And he's saying that this is the word, when the word transfigure means to totally change your form from something earthbound to something heavily bound. That's why they use that word. So it means a complete change of form. So when Jesus was transfigured, yes, they could recognize his body, but it had been completely changed for a moment by the power of God. And so uh, that word metamorphosis describes his transformation, a complete transformation. They were just overwhelmed by it. Now, I, you can go through and we can open up all of that, but I'm going to just pick up a, a second thought and then we'll go on and look at Jesus' resurrected body. The Bible tells us that we will have a resurrected body like Jesus. It'll be like his. That's what God's design is for you. I'll, read, I'll give you a scripture for that. Philippians 3, verse 21 and 22. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he's able to subdue everything to himself. So notice he says he will transform our body. So whatever body you've got now, God's not going to get rid of it. He's going to transform it. And that's that same word, to change the form totally. Complete transformation of our body. What's he transforming it to become? That we might be conformed or become like something that's not there yet. And uh, he says it'll be exactly like Jesus' body. The only thing that will differ is not the resurrection, but the glory that you carry. But everyone's body will be transformed to become like his body. So we'll come back and look at what he could do. This is what really makes it so interesting to study. So there will be a a transformation, there'll be a demonstration of God's power that totally transforms our physical body, spiritually transforms it. And so our physical body, uh, it will become like Jesus' resurrected body, totally changed. So what was it like? What was his body like? I'm going to go through and give you a range of things that Jesus' body was like. Now just, just think about this. I know we just get caught up so much on just temporary things, but try to Think ahead what it would mean for you if you entered into resurrection. Also think what would it mean to you if everyone around the table except you entered into it? There would be great joy if you entered in and there would be considerable grief and loss to realize that you are part of a body of people God called you to become something and you didn't enter it at that time. So here's some things about the, uh, the body of Jesus. What was Jesus' body like? So number one, he had a physical body with flesh and bones. He had actually had a physical body, so you could go out and touch him. And you could feel the bones, you could feel the flesh. So if you reach out and touch someone now, his body felt like that. 
It was that real. Okay? And so in, in, John, in John chapter 20 and verse 27, he said to Thomas, reach your finger in and look at my hands and reach your hand and put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And Luke 24:39, behold, my hands, here's my feet, here's me, handle me. He said, touch me. See, touch me. See, a flesh, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. He said, I'm not a spirit. I'm, a, I'm actually, this is what a resurrection body looks like. So they could touch his body, they could see his body, touch his body, and, uh, but it was, a, it was a, a resurrected body. That's the first thing to see. The second thing about him is uh, Jesus uh, touched, sorry, the disciples could touch him and they ate with him and drank with him. In other words, in your resurrected body, people can touch you and you feel like the real deal, you feel like a real person. They can feel the bones, they can sense there's a real person there. Um, you can eat, and, and here's a scripture here, um, John 21, verse 12 and 13. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast, for none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you knowing it was the Lord? And Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. So they had a, they had a breakfast on the beach, which Jesus prepared for them. And then in Acts 10, verse 14 and 41, here's this one. Uh, Jesus, God raised him up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses that God chose. So God selected the people he would reveal Jesus to, and even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. So he's saying now, we sat down, we had a meal. Yeah. We could touch him, we could eat with him. He's as real as you are. You're not some ghostly apparition. It's not some weird spirit thing. It's a real, real yeah. physical person in front of him. Here's the third thing. Now, there's something different about his body. So, they could, so that, in that respect, it looked like, you know, it's, an, it's just another person. Except, Jesus is the third one. Jesus could materialize and dematerialize his body, his physical body. Oh, man. Mm. I, I, look, I read through these things. They read like something out of a superhero story. They really do. You read some of the things he could do and you think, oh, my goodness. So when all these movies are coming up with all the superhero stuff, they're preparing us for the great things. Mm. But this is so much better. So, so he was no longer controlled by time or space or physical world laws or any limitations. Nothing, you're not constrained by the physical world because he now has a spiritual body that supersedes the physical world. So that means you could enter the natural world and then leave it. That's just so crazy. He could supernaturally move from one location to another. They could be here now, so and suddenly he's in another place, another country. And uh, so... Um, it's interesting to read the descriptions of all of that. And uh, Luke described his uh, sudden disappearance. And look at this. You've just got to try and put yourself in the story and think, what would I feel if suddenly someone just disappeared now? Just they were there, sitting at the table, gone like that. That is so staggering. Anyway, here it is here. So. so so Luke described his appearance. It said in uh, Luke 24, verse 31, their eyes were opened and they suddenly recognized him. Now, they've been sitting having a meal with a guy. They didn't even know it was Jesus. They just sitting have a meal with a regular guy who's been walking with them on a journey. And then he, he, he breaks the bread and gives it to them. And suddenly, oh, it's Jesus. And the moment they knew who it was, he's gone. That is such a freaky thing that happened. He just, it says he vanished from their sight. That means literally to become invisible or suddenly just disappear from sight. Crazy. Amazing. What do you got there? You're running out of time on that thing. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so Luke described the appearance. So then John described Jesus' sudden appearance. So he describes the disappearance. He's there and suddenly he's gone. Then John describes the appearance. Here's John's description. And possibly he walked through the wall because one of them says the door was shut. So we're in a locked room. Uh, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, the doors were shut. So everyone got the doors shut. Maybe they're locked. They were assembled for fear of the Jews. So probably they're locked. And Jesus suddenly he came and stood in the midst, said, peace be to you. So they got, they're in a locked room. And suddenly, bush, he's there. I don't know whether he just walked through the door. He's just suddenly there. And, uh, and then another one in uh, John 20 and verse 26. He did it more than once. It says, uh, after eight days, the disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut and suddenly stood in the midst and said, peace be to you. So notice they described the doors were shut. In other words, there's no way to get in. Suddenly he's there, appear and disappear. 
Man, oh man. Mm. And then Mark uh, describes it in Luke, Mark 16, verse 14. It says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and then rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they didn't believe those who'd seen him after he'd risen. So <laughs> they're all sitting at the table having a meal, probably talking about where do we go from here? And so poof, he appears. Guys, I told you about this. What's wrong? You didn't believe me. The shock of seeing someone physically who you watched them die you ran away because it was scary and suddenly it's just hard to comprehend. It's just mind-blowing. Uh, and then Paul makes a list of the appearances that he knew of. And in fact, it's found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8. I delivered to you, first of all, what was which I received. And this is the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now look at this list. He was seen by Peter, then seen by 12 then seen by over 500 at once. The most of them are still alive. Some have died. After that, seen by James, then by all the apostles. Last, he was seen by me, like one out of due time. So he had his own encounter and saw Jesus. So he, he identifies then different occasions, Jesus, and this is what he did. He appeared, then he disappeared. So you see, regularly after Jesus rose from the dead, he made appearances, just sudden appearances. And he himself, of course, had a face-to-face -face encounter in Acts chapter 9. So Luke also shared some things about the ongoing daily appearances. Now, this is, this is kind of like, as you read this, you think, oh my goodness, what kind of atmosphere must have been around the disciples when this was happening? Uh, so look at this. It says um, uh, in, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, the former account I made, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, gave commandments to the apostles he had chosen. Now look at this. To whom he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen of them during 40 days. So he kept appearing for 40 days. And what was he doing? He was speaking things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So can you imagine? Jesus died. Suddenly he turns up. He, now, you don't even know when he's going to turn up. He's going to turn up and share with you about the kingdom of God. You don't know when that's going to be. Wouldn't you be hungry? Wouldn't you be excited waiting for that to happen? Wouldn't everything else take on a whole new kind of, oh, wow, when is it going to happen today? So I, I suppose, um, no doubt, they gather to worship. And when they're gathering, worshiping, suddenly he suddenly appears. Whoa, worship's over. He's here. Yeah, he's here. And then he would teach them, teach them about the kingdom. I only wish they'd written down what he taught them. And that would be good. Well, they'd taken a video of it or something. I'd like to see him appearing and disappearing. I think that'd be so just amazing. And, you know, I don't know whether he just poof and he's gone or whether he turned and just walked and he's walked through a wall and gone. Hard to know, isn't it? But it's just suddenly your perspective of the real reality of the physical world would alter enormously. The, the, the invisible world of the kingdom would suddenly become a great reality for you and of course the impact of someone doing that of course is overwhelming we I mean, all very well to talk a little about here but if someone suddenly does it the effect is this what it says in uh, luke 24 36 37 that is a good question though why is it not recorded what he taught i don't know maybe paul put it in somewhere else i don't know now, the impact of Jesus, here's what it says. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace be to you. But, <laughs> so he says, peace, guys. But they were terrified and frightened, thinking they were looking at a spirit. The word terrified means to be overcome with astonishment and to fall down prostrate on the ground. So, so you understand, this is enormously impacting now, what Jesus is doing, is I'll come to it in a moment, he's actually giving a little view of what the, what the mm. millennium's going to be like. Except it'll be big scale, because there'll be lots of people. Man, oh man, I'm so mm. looking forward to that. He says they were frightened. He says they trembled in fear. They trembled in fear. So this is not some little deal. Mm. And you can read it, but then... Like, you know, even if you watch anything on the TV and a ghost appears or some kind of thing in one of the stories, God, it's frightening. It's just, yeah, you just you get a scare out of it. So someone doing this is just, oh, he's just yeah. peace. So here's some more things. 
um, about him so he could materialize, he could turn up or disappear, he could go wherever he wanted. That's what you can do in a resurrection body because you're no longer bound by the physical laws or the physical world or time. You can go anywhere. So here's another thing. Jesus' body could change form. It could change its form. So in Mark 16, verse 12, Mark 16, 12, after that he appeared in another form to two of them. That's a visible shape or appearance. So he could alter how he looked. Oh man, isn't that something? Be able to alter how you look. And so he could alter how he looked. And so, so they didn't recognize him. They just didn't recognize him. So obviously he could alter his, his physical appearance or the way he fronted up. Yeah, we, yeah, he could front up differently. Because they just thought he was another traveler. Be another skin color. Could, could do. Could turn up in any kind of form. Yeah, exactly. He could turn up in any form. So, um, so it's that word form means a vis visible shape or appearance. So he could alter his appearance so people couldn't recognize him, and they didn't. It says uh, in Luke twenty four fifteen to sixteen. While they talked and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, and their eyes were restrained. They didn't know who he was. How could you be with someone for three years every day with them, living, eating, breathing, and they turn up next to you walking and you're talking and you haven't got a clue? You can forget about, names, but you can't forget places. But, but it's about their eyes, not about his form. Well, no, no. Mark 16 says the same story, says in another form. So one says their eyes were withheld so they couldn't see. Yeah. The other one says it was another form. So you've probably got to put the two. Right that in spite of the fact he prepared in another form. You know, if someone's in another form and they talk, you usually recognize their voice or recognize how they're talking. They didn't recognize anything. Everything was withheld. Yeah, 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 they were withheld. So here's another one that didn't recognize him. Uh, Mary Magdalene didn't recognize him. Jesus appeared outside the tomb and she said, and they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. And when she'd said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing and did not know it was Jesus. In fact, another way it says she thought he was the gardener. Just thought he was a gardener. So see, his form is different. Mm. How could you mistake Jesus for a gardener? The fact that he came as a gardener, of course, is symbolic that he is, of course, a great gardener. You know, so is the servant and so on. Anyway, and Jesus said, Mary, and she turned and said to him, Master. So she saw Jesus standing, and it was so unimpressive, she turned away again. Until he said, Mary. And suddenly she realized it's the master. How can he have known? So do you think at that point his form changed to what she knew? Oh, I don't know. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. But she knew who he was. Yeah. She knew who he was. But yeah. her first thing, she thought he was just a gardener. So, so these are... It's helpful if you move past just a simple concept, one day we get a resurrection body, to actually work, have, have insights from the word. This is what it will look like. This is what it's going to operate like. Remember, he's going to make our body like his body, able to do these same things. So, okay, here's the next thing then, the next characteristic of it. Um, so Jesus' resurrected body radiates glory. It radiates life and glory out of it. In other words, it, it, it's, not, it's like a bright shining lamp. I'll read you the scriptures and open them up a little bit further. Remember we saw the scripture in Matthew 17, 2. He was transfigured before them. His face shined like the sun. His clothes become white as light. Mark 9, 3. His clothes become shining, exceeding white. Face like a sun, clothes exceeding white. Why you could ever get it? Uh, Luke 9, 29. Uh, as he prayed, his appearance of his face altered and his robes became wow. white and glistening. Wow. So, notice the key. So they all describe a little different aspect of it. He says it was as he prayed, mm -hmm. the glory shifted and changed. Mm. Wow. Okay. So so let's just open up a couple of the words in there. It says his face shined like the sun. That word shine is the word. Stop now. You ran out of battery. Uh, no. Meeting time. What? How come? It's limited. Start another just one. Just start another one. Start another one. I'm going to send a link to you for me. Yeah. They should just better jump back on the same one. Do what you can. No. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then. So anyway, we'll just keep going because of the sake of the recording. Mm -hmm. So um, it says his face shone like the sun. That word there, shine, is the word lampo. To beam or radiate out light. So it's, it, it's the word like to radiate light, brilliant light. So he says his face shone like the sun. So in other words, when you, if you, you couldn't look on his face... Because brilliant light, and it's coming from the inside out. It's from 
the glory within shining forth like rays, brilliant rays like the sun. And uh, the word his garments, his clothes become white. That word white means, it's the word leukos, L-E-U-K-O-S. It means brilliant, dazzling white, dazzling white. The guy says, you couldn't launder your clothes to look that white. This is beyond white. This is better than anyone could do. And then, and it also means to radiate dazzling bright rays of light. So you see his countenance radiating light, like bright like the sun. You used to look in the sun, it's that brilliant light. You can feel the light and the warmth. That's what it's like. And, and it says his clothes were glistening. And that means they shone out lightning. How about that? So the glory of God, which was within Jesus, began to radiate out through his whole body, changing all his body. It was what was in him, expanding out and changing what was outside. Wow. So his body and his garments and his countenance all radiated uh, brilliant rays of light. Now, of course, when uh, John saw Jesus in the book of Revelation, he had an encounter with him. Look what he said. Similar thing. And he said uh, in uh, Revelation 1, verse 12 through 16, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment to the feet and girded with his chest with a golden band. His hair, head and his hair were white like wool. Here it is again, white like snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. In other words, his eyes are burning like there's a fire. That's the only way he could describe it, was it's like his eyes are on fire. A blazing flame of fire. And it says his feet were like fine brass, as if you'd refined it in the furnace, and his voice like the sound of many waters, and his right hand seven stars out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Again, he's seeing the glory, and he's saying it's like looking into the sun, the brilliance of his face is just is too much to handle. So Jesus' countenance shining with brilliance. And of course, it tells us about God's people in Matthew 13, verse 43. Then the righteous will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So it could be just prophetic statements, or it could be actually literally the glory is so brilliant it shines through us. Here's another thing about Jesus' resurrection. And uh, here it is here. Jesus could veil his glory so he could fully cover it so you couldn't see it or just partially so you could see it. So sometimes he appeared in glory. Sometimes he appeared like a gardener. Sometimes you could recognize him. Sometimes you couldn't recognize him. He could appear. He could vanish. So we need to see then that, that the glory of God that was within him, as he walked, no one recognized it. But when he was on the mount, it suddenly shone forth. You could see it. So that brings us, and we'll finish this section. I'll move on to another about believers. Um, the last thing is that this statement here, there's a scripture that says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so in, um, in uh, Colossians 1, 27 to 29, I'll read 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 first. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel, so the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So in other words, as a believer... The Bible describes you have a treasure in you. Most times people are trying to get God to come down from somewhere to do something and they lose awareness. We are one with the Spirit of God when we're in Christ. We have a treasure within us which we have to grow and cultivate. So we have this treasure which is Christ in an earthen vessel. So even though we may be frail, may have limitations, may have weaknesses and so on and so forth, nevertheless, it's not about the vessel, it's the treasure in the vessel that counts. And then Paul writing on, talking about that same treasure, he says, um, uh, he says this in Colossians 1, he says, To then God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Or Christ has put a deposit of his life in you, which brings you hope of a glory yet to come. Say that again. Christ has put, God's put a measure of Christ in you, and that gives you hope. This is a glory yet to come. So no one sees it because it's veiled. So remember, Jesus, the glory was within him, but it was veiled, and then on the mount, it was revealed. Same, same for us. The glory is hidden, 
but there is a day it will be revealed. Yeah. Our job is to walk with him and serve him now so we qualify for that day. And so you can understand there, I'll share one more scripture related to that in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. It says, In him you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, whom having believed, and here it is here, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now that word sealed means to put an ownership mark on you. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee or the or the what's called the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And what does that mean? Well, that word guarantee or earnest is the deposit you give someone when you're buying a house. So if you want to, if I'm going to buy your house, then we seal the deal by paying a deposit. Now that means if you have the deposit, it's the guarantee that I will return with all the money and the, the bank that will all be completed. I'll take ownership of the house fully and what you will receive is the rest of the money. So what he's saying is the anointing or presence of the Spirit of God you have in you now is a down payment. It's a down payment until God redeems your body, in which case then the rest of the glory comes at that time. So he connects then that coming glory or that hope ahead of us with the coming day of resurrection. So you all have a deposit of God. It's not a matter of how big it is. It's what you do with what you have is what counts. And so the glory that is within us reminds us of a greater glory that we're called to take hold of. So I noticed what Paul uh, said, that it's, it's, it's until. So we've got that, that measure until. So Paul then talks then, he says about, we, therefore, we preach, we warn every man. That means confront them with the truth. We teach every man in all wisdom. Notice what he's doing. Preaching, proclaiming the truth, warning or talking about people to get them right in their lives, teaching every man with all wisdom. Why? So we may present everyone perfect in Jesus Christ. So what he's saying then is Paul was motivated by this prize to persevere in calling in his calling to mature people. The hardest thing in pastoral ministry is to mature people. Like they forever want to stay childish. But the work of the ministry is to preach, proclaim the word of God, believing God to honor it. It's to confront or to warn people, to face them up with what's going on in their life. And it's to teach them, instruct them in how to walk and become mature in God, presenting every man perfect. Okay then, so next thing then is, um, as we look at then, so all believers in the coming kingdom will manifest different levels of glory. So we saw Jesus manifested like a full glory, uh, but we will manifest different levels of glory. So no matter where you are now, it doesn't matter what it looks like to everyone or how important or whatever you are, only Jesus really knows what you're qualified for. <laughs> no one can say. It's got nothing to do with any external. It's got to do with your journey. So in the coming uh, resurrection, we will, one, we'll have a body like Jesus. Philippians 3.21, he'll transform our lowly body, may be conformed to his glorious body. So he's going to transform our body. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47 to 49, it says, just as we're born the image of the man of dust, we'll also bear the image of the heavenly man. What he's saying is that, yeah, we look around and we can see that we've got, we're carrying the image of the fallen Adam. However, it's absolutely certain we will one day carry the image of God. We'll just be like in the image of Jesus Christ. In 1 John 3, it says, Beloved, we are children of God now, but it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. You don't know. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. So see, I've given you three scriptures that indicate very clearly we will be like him in our resurrection body. And then it says, whoever has this hope in himself purifies himself. In other words, knowing that there's a hope of being like him in resurrection, we are responsible to get our life right, to walk with him, to allow our life to be purified, to become clean vessels, no compromise. So in, in the resurrection, all of our abilities will be enhanced. It's not just your body changes, everything about you changes. So your mental abilities will be enhanced. You, no, no memory problems. Your, your ability to understand, your ability to think. I think I read somewhere that they say only about a 10% of our brain is currently used, probably as a consequence of the fall, which means as 90% remains unused. So I presume the Lord 
in resurrection, since our body is transformed, the full capacity of our creativity and thinking mm. and whatever mm. will be released. Our emotions will be uh, enhanced. Mm. The ability to feel love, to feel peace, to feel joy, to feel those things. Uh, our abilities to communicate will be enhanced yeah. because it won't be just be words. You know, communication in the mm. spirit is it's tele telepathy pretty well. Like when God speaks, you don't hear the words, you just pick up the thought inside you. In other words, if there's a, well, the nearest thing I say is telepathy, I suppose. Uh, strength, there'll be enhanced strength. And you see glimpses of it in the Bible with the spirit of might coming on people like Samson. He can do extraordinary strength, strong things. So you see glimpses in the Bible of these characteristics with different ones. Supernatural, yeah. Yeah, uh, the endurance, your ability to do things without being fatigued or sick. Um, transportation will change. You'll be able to move from one place to another without any problem. Uh, material, you'll be able to pass through walls and just there's nothing physical will constrain you. Beauty will be enhanced in our beauty and then corruptible, unable to get sick or die or be damaged. Now, doesn't that sound great? You never get sick. No teeth fall, no teeth go, no hair fall out. I, I, no I, bone problems. No bone problems. Bone. No. no back problems. No, no, nothing like that. And no memory problems either. Um, it's just like everything becomes immensely enhanced in that coming age. And then you, as you look at that, you realize, oh, my sin has really reduced us and humbled us. And we're wearing a garment that's so corrupt. Um, so you see, your, see hints of this in the scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, uh, verse 40 to 44, there are celestial bodies and terrestrial. There's heaven and earth. And the glory of the heavenly is different to the glory of the earthly. So it says right now you're in an earthly body, but there's a totally different dimension of glory in the heavenly body. So just look up at the sky and see how vast it is. That's how different it's going to be in, the, in that coming day. He said there's one glory of the sun, another of the moon. You ever look at the glory of the sun? sun wow, brilliant. Look at the moon. It's like a cold light at night. It's quite different. And he says another glory of the stars. And one star differs from nothing glory. So he's saying if you just look at creation... It's all yelling at you in the coming kingdom will all be in different levels of glory. God can do it. I mean, look at the stars. Some are really brightly shy. Some are quite faint. Some are very faint. He said it'll be the same in the coming kingdom. Just extraordinary. He said um, the resurrection of the dead is sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. So notice then these things. Now, incorruption will be incorruptible. No sickness, no death, not, no, nothing going downhill like it does now. Glory, there's purity and honor. In other words, there'd be a, just a glory that's unchangeable. Power, instead of being vulnerable and in pain. Spiritual body with uh, capacities that surpass everything. And immortality, unending life and, and, and uh, love. It's just extraordinary. And you see little glimpses of it. You see like Samson with all the strength. You see Elijah ran ahead of a chariot. How do you run ahead of a chariot, for goodness sake? He just did that in his physical body under the power of the Holy Ghost. And so, and so you see so many things like that. So our physical body will be completely transformed. So our, our, um, our sight will be able to see near and far. Uh, hearing, be able to hear with clarity at great distances. It's like nothing. It's like everything changed. You taste, you'll enjoy things better. Uh, touch, everything, everything will be enhanced to another level. An upgrade. An uh, upgrade, absolutely. And then finally in that area, the, the, every believer will have a different level of glory in that resurrection. And Jesus talked about it in Matthew 5, 19. We said there's great and least in the kingdom. There'll be greatest and there'll be the least. So that means there's a range of ranks and, uh, and so on. And we saw in 1 Corinthians 15 that there's different degrees of glory. So in the resurrection, everyone will have a different degree of glory. And you won't be envious of someone else's. You'll see why they deserved it. I'll get on to that when we get to garments. So there's different degrees of glory. And, and the degrees of glory relate to two things, or three things. Our intimacy with Jesus, what we overcame in life, and the, the degree of inner transformation. In other words, to those key things of sonship. That's why they're so important, those three areas. So let's then look at the first resurrection. So I want to just do a section on the first resurrection. Handle a bit more? Yeah. Yeah. Do a bit more? This is really quite an important area here now. So we've got an idea that we see what Jesus was capable of, what his body looked like, and how we're going to be conformed to that same image. Now, I want to now touch on the reward aspect of this. I want to talk about the resurrection. 
And so the section we'll look at now is the first resurrection. I'm calling it the resurrection of reward. So the, firstly, the Bible reveals there are two resurrections. You'll be aware of that. There's the first resurrection, and that's found in Revelation chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. Here it is. The rest of the dead live not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So for the, for the millennium, there's a whole lot of people are dead. But there's others who are resurrected. So blessed is holy, he that had part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and reign with him a thousand years. So there's a first resurrection. If there's a first one, there's another one. And so the first resurrection takes place at the beginning of the millennium. Then there's a thousand years. At the very end, then there is a general resurrection. So the general, second or general resurrection takes the end place at the end of the millennial reign of Christ at the great white throne judgment. Here it is. It's found in uh, Revelations 20, verse 11 to 15. There I saw a great white throne and him sat on him whose face, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, and, uh, the dead, small and great. There it is again, different degrees, standing before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. So God, we saw before that God keeps a detailed record. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. The death and hell were delivered up their dead which were in them. They were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire which is the second death. And anyone who's not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So notice in the first resurrection it says they become priests and kings. But it doesn't say that about the second resurrection. So in the first resurrection, we become priests and kings to God and we reign for a thousand years working with Jesus for that thousand years. And what are we doing? What happens? It says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24 and 25, then, that's the end of the thousand years, comes the end. He will then hand over all the kingdoms of the world to God the Father and then he'll put an end when he's put an end to all rule and authority. So in other words, for a thousand years, Jesus will be working to establish the kingdom on earth. And when it's all done and everything's put down, then comes the end and he hands it all over to the Father. And the Father comes and inhabits the earth with fulfilling what God has always wanted to do, to dwell on earth with his people. So the first resurrection, I believe, and, and uh, is a resurrection of reward. I believe that it's uh, part the participation in the first resurrection is reserved for those who are overcomers. Now, it would be helpful for you to understand this is a significant point of difference of doctrine about this issue. Mm. And not everyone will be happy if you take this position, but I believe it's a true position. And here's why. Some Christians don't even know there's two resurrections. Have so you asked them about the resurrection? They're not even sure about that, let alone that there's two. Did you know there's two resurrections? Which one will you be in? Will you be in either? People don't always know. Uh, the second thing is, um, some believers or some Christians think that the first resurrection's already taken place. They think it's already happened. I, I don't take. I don't believe that at all. And then some Christians, that's another group of them, believe that all believers will be in the first resurrection. So that's a position. There's some scriptural support for that. And others believe that the first resurrection is a prize, therefore not automatic. So that's the position I've taken for many, many years that the first resurrection is a resurrection of reward, a prize to be won. And if you think about it, that's an enormous prize to come into a resurrection body, to share in changing the earth with Jesus and to be never able to die again, but living on a world where people live and die. What um, have you... <coughs> I'm going to give you some scriptures okay, in support right. of that. Obviously, we need to have a few scriptures. That would be a whole teaching of itself. And I'm going to give you some key scriptures on this that are helpful to support this position. Okay, so here we go. So uh, I want to look at a few scriptures that would support that it's a, it's a, um, a resurrection of reward. So um, in other words, here's the next point. Then what is the evidence that would point towards the first resurrection being a reward? What evidence is there in scripture? So I'll just give you some. It's, it's quite a subject of its own, of course. Firstly, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we find that Philippians 3, verse 7 through to 11. And this is what he's writing. And I'll just give a bit of it and touch on a little bit of it. So here it is here. Uh, Paul wrote, 
And he said, the things that were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. And indeed, I count everything loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Just stop there. I thought he already had Christ. He's a Christian. Yet he's talking about gaining Christ. So he's talking not about our salvation experience. He's talking about winning or obtaining something he doesn't yet have. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is faith through Christ, the faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now here he is. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. And here's the key line. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. So notice now that Paul considers all his achievements are meaningless compared to the prize. The prize is winning Christ. Now, since he has already received Christ into his heart and life, and he has a relationship with him, including encounters, he must be talking about something ahead to be won. It's a prize. And, uh, and, so, and, and uh, so notice there, uh, the word resurrection from the dead is, this is the only place in the Bible they use this term. When they use the term resurrection, they use the term um, anastasis. Anastasis is the Greek word for resurrection. Anastasis, ek netron, is the normal statement. Anastasis, meaning resurrection, ek, meaning from, necron, meaning the dead. So normally if it's talking about resurrection, the resurrection from the dead, it'll be anastasis, ek necron. This is different. It uses Ek anastasis. In other words, it puts the two together, so it reads something like this. It means uh, he's talking. He's saying, "If by any means I might attain to the out from resurrection from the dead." Now, in other words, he's saying this resurrection is a different resurrection. This is the thing I want to win. And uh, you notice a couple of things here. I believe when he talks about this resurrection, he's referring to the first resurrection when people are resurrected at the millennium to rule and reign with Christ. Notice what he says, if by any means. Now that statement, if by any means, means there may be a possibility I may not make it. In, in, in the book of Acts, they said, and we set sail, if by any means we might reach Crete. Well, they didn't. They sank. They didn't make it. So if by any means, means I'm going to do the very best I can, any means possible, that I might get there. So, so, so you have to realize then, it's clear he's not convinced he qualifies yet. And he's been in ministry for quite a while. He's been, this is six years before his death. He's been planting churches and doing all kinds of things. Yet when it comes to this reward, he's saying, wait a minute. I really, everything I've done doesn't mean anything much compared to qualifying for this. This is what my life is for. I want to qualify for that. And so he's indicating it's a possibility it may not happen. It's a prize to contend for. It's the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. And then, now you go on to the next few verses, uh, Philippians 3, 12 to 15. Notice what he says. Not that I've already attained it. Not that I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of what Jesus Christ laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended it. One thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind, reaching forward to the things that are before, I press towards the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Now let, let us, as many be mature, have that same mind. And if you think otherwise, God will show it to you surely. Now, he's going on to say, I haven't made it. So it's not my experience yet, and I'm not sure I'm actually going to be, be qualifying for it. He says he's not apprehended the prize, meaning to take possession of it or to be certain he's got it. And he says, so I press, I press towards the mark. He said, I am, that word press means to flee, to run swiftly, to take hold of a prize. So you see, the whole language of it is, there's a certain resurrection ahead and it's a prize to be won. It consumes me. Everything is nothing in comparison to getting or losing this. Everything is nothing. I want to get this. And so he said, I press on towards the mark for the prize of this high calling of God and Jesus Christ. So if there's a high calling, there's probably a low calling as well. This is a high calling is that we will live our life and qualify to rule and reign with Christ. And so, uh, so there's Paul expresses it there in the letter to the Hebrews. Get this one. You, you wouldn't have seen these things if you searched for them. 
it says in Hebrews 11.35, and it's talking about the people of faith. And right there, it slips this one-liner in there. Women received their dead raised to life, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Why did they allow themselves to be tortured but refuse to be delivered by whatever? It says that they might obtain a better resurrection. How about that? So everyone knew about the general resurrection. Everyone's going to be raised. So no worry about being raised from the dead. Everyone's going to be raised from the dead. But they're saying this is a better resurrection and that caused them to endure everything, even to the point of dying. Why? To get a, a stronger resurrection. The word stronger means this. It means a more excellent resurrection, a nobler resurrection, a having dominion or power resurrection. How about that? A, a more excellent, a nobler, a resurrection having dominion and power. So notice now, when you now look at first and second resurrection, on the one hand, you've got people become priests and kings to God and rule and reign with him for a thousand years. On the other, it doesn't say anything. It just says they're all raised from the dead. And they will get account for their works. And if their name's in the book of life, that means they're believers. They go through into eternity uh, in a resurrection body. The big issue is whether we're in that first resurrection. Here's another one. In the book of Revelation, the promise that's made to the overcomer. Here it is. It said in Revelations 2, 26, whoever overcomes and keeps my work to the end, him I'll give power over the nations. So notice power over the nations to rule and extend Christ's kingdom of the nations. You're not given to anyone but an overcomer. Here's another one. Revelations 3, 21, 22. To him who overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me in my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. So if you have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So notice again, to sit in the throne with Jesus, to share his authority and dominion and rule with him in eternity or in the coming kingdom, you have to be an overcomer. That means you've got to have something to overcome. And the book of Revelation 2 and 3 tells us the various things we must overcome, the challenges all of us must overcome. And of course, there's many other kinds of things. So we're getting towards the end of the study, just the last couple of thoughts related to it now. So where will we live in our resurrected bodies? If you've got a resurrected body, you've come into that resurrection. Where will you live? Where will you be? Will you need, well, I need this house, for example. There's lots of things that you kind of question. Of course, when you start to look at eternal things, the glory of the eternal, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. So, so those with resurrected bodies, the, the Bible indicates they will live in the new Jerusalem and reign on the earth. Now, that means they'll have instant transportation anywhere in the earth just to carry out Jesus' command. So if Jesus has declared he will rule from Jerusalem over the whole earth, there'll be the natural Jerusalem, there'll be the new Jerusalem, the city of our God. He will be there. So you must have the natural realm and the supernatural realm very close and interacting with one another. So it looks as though, for all extents and purposes, God is reigning through the world through natural Jerusalem, just like he did with David. He reigned over the known world through David and then through Solomon. But heaven was on earth. Heaven, there was in a measure. And uh, so the veil will be lifted. So in the, in the coming millennia, there'll be a lot of things. I won't go into much of it now, but um, there'll, be a, there'll be the natural dimension. So people carry on. They eat, they drink, they work, they, they sow, they plant, they do all the kind of things they do. They study, they learn, they grow, they die. There'll be all of that sort of thing happening. But all the human processes will be greatly enhanced by the glory of God being present. That's what will make a difference. Everything will grow better. Everything will work better. The devil's in, 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 uh, is being put in chains for a thousand years. So there's no demonic interference, no demonic structure. I think people be amazed just that one thing, what that does. Yeah. And then when you start to fill the place with the glory, things accelerate in the glory. Things thrive in the glory. Everything will thrive. We'll look at that when we teach on another session on it. But the whole of the millennium will be a time of unprecedented world peace and prosperity and productivity. So who knows what things will be created? Who knows what things? You look at what's been created in Israel since they came back as a nation and all the Nobel Prizes in Israel and you realize creativity will be released. New ideas. I have no no doubt that new new, uh, sources of energy will be released. The whole thing with this problem with the uh, power and stuff will be solved, I'm sure. So so those with resurrected bodies will interact with people on the earth, but you will just, like Jesus did. That's probably the best, the best way to see what it looks like is to go back to the 40 days between Jesus rising from the dead 
and then when you send it into heaven and say what happened then that's the best that's the one little glimpse you get of what this could be like so it, it, it says um uh, it reads it's him god raised up on the third day and showed him openly not to all the people but to witnesses chosen before by god even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead so he was teaching them he sat at a table they ate together they drank they probably hugged him and he's appearing and disappearing all the time every day he disappears every day appears again turns up has a meal with them teaches them shares things of the kingdom with no doubt he prayed for them and blessed them then he's gone he doesn't need to stay in the house got some other place some other dimension <laughs> my goodness isn't that exciting mm. and so you can imagine then the 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 joy and excitement imagine living every day and jesus is going to turn up sometime today physically wow you can imagine and then and then having the meal with them and he's sharing with them things from the word of god sharing with them about the kingdom sharing them about the his plan for the world mm. oh my goodness the joy and the excitement must have been enormous mm. enormous that whole dimension of heaven and earth connecting like that it must have been phenomenal and every time they read they just touch him like that they give him a physical hug and then suddenly gone and they got no when he'll come back when he's ready. So they just got to carry on. What are they going to do? They're going to carry on with their lives. So, so that's an insight, a little insight, the joy and excitement. So mm. the last things thought I would have on it is intense joy or great sorrow. Mm. God's purpose has always been that heaven would come to earth, that the two realms would overlap. So can you imagine what it would like to be part of it and imagine what it would be like to be disqualified for some reason? Intense joy, being a really intense eternal joy, being resurrected, part of the first resurrection, part of the eternal ministry of Jesus. Great sorrow to think I've been in church all these years, I've just sort of been carrying on and whatever, but I missed out on what I was really called for. Mm. So we have to make a daily choice how we're going to live our life, whether we'll live it for the now or we'll live it for eternity. Will he live it now for his kingdom? advancing his kingdom and allowing him to work in our life knowing in, as it says in numbers 14 21 and this is god saying as truly as i live in other words you can take this one to the bank all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the lord so we hunger for that glory in meetings we long for that glory in meetings we have waves of it and levels of it when it's really heavy you can't get up off the ground when the weight of glory is on, you can't move, you cry, things happen, healings and deliverance. Imagine, imagine the whole earth full of the glory of the Lord. Everyone knows about it, not hidden. And there's a company of people with Jesus, the sons of God, transforming the earth and bringing justice and, and setting everything right. And you and I are called into that. Isn't that, no doubt it's called the high calling of God and Jesus Christ. What a calling that is. So I encourage you to, go through the notes and have a look at them study the scriptures make them your own scriptures and uh, when you've done that then they become your message mm. so the more you look at them and see it the more you'll then have it as a part of you not everyone as i say agrees or believes these things uh, there'll be other people who have a different view from those who don't know these two resurrections those who think it's already happened those who think everyone gets resurrected in that first resurrection uh, and then you will find there are some, a remnant, that believe, no, it's a prize to be won. This is why you lay your life down. This is what it is about. It's all for something. And even if there's frustrations in the short term, in the long term, there's a prize yeah. that you never want to have taken away from you.